Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. This is today's Bible class, a short Bible study every single day, only about 13 minutes, but that keeps us in God's Word, and that helps us to stay strong and even grow stronger in our faith, because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And it also helps keep us focused on our relationship with God and upon our spiritual lives, and helps us to be better prepared to deal with life every day from a more positive and spiritual perspective. Help people in your life to regain these focuses, to change their life where they need to, to start thinking about their relationship with God and about their souls. Share these short studies with them every day through Facebook friends, text messages, other technological means, with your family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can. You may help somebody turn their life around and get to heaven. What a great blessing for them, but it will also be a great blessing for you. So make that commitment. Start sharing today and every day with everybody you can. We're coming toward the end of our line of thought and study on seven dangerous nations. Seven dangerous nations. Well, we've said we're really just using a play on words here. We're not talking about literal nations on the globe, around the world. Certainly there are dangerous nations out there who pose threats to their neighbors or to maybe the world as a whole. We could name off a number of those nations, but there are also nations wherein we would say, many people at least, would say, you know, it's dangerous to live in those nations. They may not pose a, a, a worldwide or a global threat to other nations, but it's dangerous to live there. And so those are dangerous nations from that perspective. And some people would say, and I think rightly so, that there are places, especially some of the big cities in our nation, where it's dangerous to live because of the violence and because of the crime that is going on and seemingly running rampant through the streets of those cities. Well, but we're talking again about play on words. You know, we're talking about, you know, kind of word images here. And so what are the seven dangerous nations that we've been pointing out? Well, the first one was abominations. Abominations, really strong word indicating not just bad things, not just maybe from our common thought, you know, process in the word wicked things, but we're talking about absolutely abominations before God. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 13, talk about those from an Old Testament perspective related to all of the evil and all of the immorality and wickedness that went with idol worship back in those ancient days. But then in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, those are lists, that, that text lists, lists seven abominations before God that we see commonly practiced all around us by people in our culture and in the world today, such as lying and ungodly pride and, and you know, gossip and so on. Well, abominations. The second one we looked at was contamination. We're talking about being contaminated by the worldly ways that people live all around us, and that is they're living in sinful practices and lifestyles, ungodliness, procrastination. So many people put off coming to God through Jesus Christ. 
really making that ultimate commitment to say, I, I want to change my life. I want to be a Christian. I want to repent of my sins. I want to be baptized into Christ so the blood that he shed on the cross can cleanse me of the guilt of my sins. And they keep procrastinating, putting it off. Yeah, I, I know what I need to do. I'm going to get to it one day, but they may end their life without ever getting past the procrastination. Keep putting it off. Discrimination. We talked about how Everybody is created in the image of God in that he created us all with a soul. And so we are not to be people who practice discrimination in an ungodly way. God is not prejudiced. We are all created in his image, and we need to reflect that in the way that we treat one another and the way we think about one another. Well, termination was the next one we looked at. We talked about how a whole lot of people, they do come to Christ. They do want to be saved. They are baptized into him for the remission of their sins. But then some of them very quickly, others over a prolonged period of time, they terminate that relationship by walking away from Christianity, or at least faithfulness to Christ. They walk away from the church. They think they can be okay by believing in God, believing in Jesus, maybe doing their own thing, but they terminate the relationship and they go back into sinful practices. Well, let's look at the sixth dangerous nation, the sixth of these seven that I have laid out for us, and that's denominations. And some people would say, what? Denominations? Aren't you talking about Christian churches? I'm talking about denominations that claim to be Christian. Now, let me clarify. When you go to a bank and you cash a check for, let's say, $200, the teller may ask you, in what denominations do you want your funds? And you you know exactly what he or she means. How do you want those dollars divided up? You might say, well, give me four fifties, or you might say, give me 10 twenties, or give me 20 tens, or give me some combination of those, and maybe you want some fives in there, maybe some ones and so on, but you understand what that means. And what, that, what you're doing in taking certain denominations of that is you're dividing up that sum of money, that total sum of money, into subgroups. Now, that is division. That's division. Denominations in the quote-unquote Christian world has accomplished exactly that among those who claim to be and want to be Christians. They've divided Christianity, and I'm using that term in the broad sense of the word, they've divided Christianity into groups that don't believe the same thing, they don't teach the same thing, and they don't practice the same thing doctrinally. Is that what Christianity is supposed to look like? Absolutely not. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus was praying, and his prayer is recorded for us in John chapter 17. Now, a great deal of that prayer focused on the apostles specifically. But when he comes to verse 20, He kind of changes gears, so to speak, and he's praying to the Father, obviously. And so he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, those who would become Christians through the apostles' teaching of the gospel. 
And he would tell them on the day that he ascended back to heaven to go into the world, all the world, and preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. So the the apostles were to go on what we call the Great Commission. They were supposed to go far and near and preach the gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says to the Father, he's praying to the Father, next day he's going to be on the cross as that ultimate, perfect, one-time-for-all-time sacrifice. And he prays, I'm not praying just for the apostles here but for all of those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one father. Now that's unity right there. He's praying for, but he even qualifies it more succinctly that they all may be one as you father are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Now, Jesus didn't say that they all may be one at least agreeing to disagree agreeably. (laughs) That's not what he prayed for. He says, I want them to be totally, completely, absolutely united in me. I want them to be as totally united as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Do you think there's any disagreement between God the Father and God the Son as to Christianity, as to beliefs, as to teachings, as to what the scriptures are supposed to communicate and what they say? Absolutely no disunity, no difference of opinion whatsoever. And that's the degree of unity that Jesus prayed for, for his followers. And that goes all the way up to us today, who would call ourselves Christians. We are to be totally united, as absolutely united as God the Father and God the Son are united. And then Jesus says that the world may believe that you sent me. The non-Christian world, when they see the disunity of denominationalism, they see division and they see confusion. They see disagreement. They see disunity. Now, why would they want to be a part of that. You see, we're supposed to be absolutely united in what we believe and what we teach and what we practice. But denominations cause division. They are part and parcel to division. Division is central to their identity, what they are. But Jesus prayed for all Christians to be totally, totally united. And that would include not a difference of opinion saying, well, you all believe it this way and we believe it that way. And those folks over there, they believe it their way. And it's all okay, just so we all believe in God and Jesus. That's not what he prayed for. And what a lot of people say, we're all going to the same place, heaven. We're just going in different directions. Really? Do you think north and south are two different directions that lead to the same place? Or east and west? They lead to the same place. Or you might say, okay, I'm heading north. You had, we, you had west. Are we going to end up at the same location? We know the absurdity of that kind of, of, of belief or even illustration. Well, 
we need to be believing and teaching and, and, and practicing the same thing doctrinally, which doctrine simply means teachings. And we get those teachings from God communicated to us in his word. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4, the apostle Paul lays out seven basic doctrinal positions that we are supposed to live by as Christians, as the Lord's church. He says there is one body. Now, he's already identified what that one body is back in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. It's the church. The church is the body of Christ. Now, he repeats that in his Colossians letter in chapter 1 and verse 18, and again in verse 24. He says there is one body. This idea that we can have all kinds of different denominations all teaching different things and practicing different things and, and believing different things and everybody be okay, everybody be the same, that's, that's contradiction within, within itself. So he says there is one body, one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith. That one faith is the teachings of the gospel of Jesus Christ or the teachings of God through the scriptures. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And the word of God is referred to, the teachings of Christianity, the gospel of Christ is referred to as the faith over and over again in New Testament scripture. And so Paul says there's one faith, one baptism. Now that means sprinkling, pouring, and immersion can't all be equal. They're not, they're three separate kinds of baptism. And also, when you have denominations teaching that, well, baptism is not for the remission of sins, it's just to get you into the church, it's just a, the answer of a clear conscience, that's, that's not what the Scriptures teach. Acts 2 and verse 37, it's, it says it's for the remission of sins, so that your sins can be forgiven. The same thing is repeated in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, to wash away your sins, Baptism is identified as that avenue through which or that crossing over point or threshold through which we come into salvation in Christ. In Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, we're told that baptism brings us into Christ. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 and Galatians 3 and verse 27. Well, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through you all. Those are not all kinds of let's just figure it out ourselves, do it our own way, believe what we want to believe. No, that's, those are very specific and, and, and very uh, restricting Truth is truth, and truth is narrow. When the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, he began that letter, basically, by rebuking them for their division. And he said in verse 10, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, or by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, does that sound like we can just believe and teach and practice whatever we think is okay? Absolutely not. We've got to teach God's word exactly and faithfully. 
denominations. Boy, one of the most dangerous nations of the seven that we need to stay away from. Let's pray. Father, help us to recognize that division is not your way, but you want unity among your followers. And help us to simply submit our will to your will by living faithfully according to your teachings in your word. Help us to be united in Christ, Father. Please forgive us and hear our prayer, gracious Father. In Jesus' name, amen.